Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Revelation 17. We'll finish this section today. And again, the reason why I camped out on this section is we've got to understand the background to understand the horror of Babylon, and then we can move forward for the rest of the text and into the rest of chapter 17 and then move into chapter 18. Because John just assumes that what he's talking about is common knowledge, that everybody would know what Babylon represents. They would know Nimrod. They would know the Tower of Babel story. And I'm sure you do. But again, this is for people that don't have this background. And so I really had to slow down and unpack this a little bit. And I'm going to do some more unpacking today. But I think after these last few messages, you'll have a fuller perspective, a very robust understanding of Babylon and the horror of Babylon and what she's doing currently. But again, you always have to go back to origins. You have to understand history. You have to know what's going on. John just assumes we do. Okay, so let's go through the text. I'm not going to unpack the text I've already uncovered already in the previous two messages. So we're going to go through that just so we can get a context, and then we'll focus in on the last two verses really to unpack that, okay? So it starts in verse 1, and it says this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And we unpack that, and again, I'm not going to undo that, so you can go back and listen to those sermons on that with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. We covered this material already. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And again, just by way of just review, just real quick, what he is saying is the great whore will be here in the future, and she will be on the one world government, and that one world government will support her. Big picture, if you want to marry the two, what's happening is eventually what you're going to see, it's happening now, is the one world globalism government will use this false religion, this whore of Babylon religion, to be the glue that unites the world together. And as you can see right now, it's happening. They're using this new morality, this new tolerance, this new all roads lead to God kind of supra-religion that encompasses everybody and everything, whether you're a Buddhist, a Muslim, Mormon, Catholic, it doesn't matter, it encompasses that. The only thing it excludes is people like you and I, true Bible-believing Christians, and oh yeah, by the way, the Jews too. So guess who's excluded, but guess who's included. So that's how the horror works. What John is saying is these two are going to merge together, and she will be ruling the first half of the tribulation. Go back to the scripture now, verse 4. And then we talked about this. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. This is rulership, right? And murder. Adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, and having in her hand the golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. She's going to be wealthy, and we talked about that, and that she's the one who introduces idolatry, false religions of the world. Okay. Now we're going to camp out a little bit here in verse 5. That's all what we've studied so far. Verse 5. And on her forehead, a name was written, mystery. Now, when you see the word mystery, it means that something is about to be introduced to you 
as a New Testament believer that was not revealed in the Old Testament. So you'll see mysteries. Paul will use the word, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall all be caught up. And he talks about the rapture, that that was a mystery in the Old Testament, and so it's something revealed. And so now he's going to reveal a mystery. And what is the mystery? Babylon the Great. Well, that's not a mystery. We know what Babylon the Great is, and we'll unpack that just a little bit today. We're going to look at the rebellion today that happened there. The mother of harlots. Well, we know that all false religions come out of that. We'll learn that today. And of the abominations of the earth, we know that, that all the idolatries and filthiness that came from her. What is the mystery? The mystery is, you ready for it, that the Old Testament saints didn't know, and we didn't know until 95 AD when John wrote this. The mystery is that Babylon would be a world ruler, a super religion over the world and be supported by the governments of the world. That's what they didn't know in the Old Testament. So that's what's being revealed to us by John, is that superstructure is supported by the government. Now, that might fundamentally change the way you look at things now. See, a lot of people, prognosticators, thought because of secular humanism being introduced into the government, the schools, and whatnot, that society would go to atheism. We go completely to just a secular non-spiritual society. That's not what it's doing. The Bible predicts something different. And here's the interesting thing. That's exactly what we see statistically speaking. Fewer and fewer and fewer people are becoming Christian. In fact, many people are dropping off from being a Christian. It's a radical departure of people in America who used to claim to be Christian and now are claiming they're not. You know what they're claiming? They're spiritual That's the new phrase. They're spiritual. So they don't go to church. They don't go to Bible study. They're doing everything on their own, so to speak, with their own spirituality, which is New Age, Hinduism, Buddhism, all enmeshed into parts of Christianity. It's just weird. But what it is is the horror of Babylon. And fewer and fewer young people are coming to faith in Christ, too, by the way. We're now into Generation Z, they call it. It's minuscule. Who's coming to faith in Christ from that generation? Millennials, I told you, are 4%. Generation Y is less than that. It's less than 1%. 1% 1%. It's really extremely small of them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But they're spiritual. They're spiritual. You ask them, are you spiritual? Absolutely, they're spiritual. And so they have these... You know, whether it's existentialism or esoteric experiences, whatever it is, they're having spiritual experiences, which is exactly what the Whore of Babylon teaches. That you can have a mystical experience with so-called God and get your way to God through the portal that you choose. Well, anyway, it's building. It's happening right in front of our eyes. One of the things we talked about last week, and I touched on that, was Nimrod. And we talked about him being the founder of Babylon and him creating Babylon in in the Mesopotamian area and and understanding the significance of him and understanding what happened there. So we want to go back to that. We didn't finish Nimrod. And just for review, let's jump back to Genesis chapter 10 real quick just to get some perspective about what does this encompass. And again, in Genesis 10, it says the sons of Ham were Cush. Remember, these are the Hamites. 
Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. So this is where the Canaanites came from. So there's an evil trace coming down from this line, from this son. By the way, this was the son that got in trouble with Noah, right? I'm not going to impact that right now, but it, it shows you there's a line of evil going through this. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Sabtika, and the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan, the areas of uh, Saudi Arabia that where they settled. Cush begot Nimrod, and we talked about that. The Nimrod, his name, he's the founder of Babylon. His name obviously means rebel, or he's the rebellious one. And it says that he began, so let's unpack this just a little bit. I did this on the screen for you. The word began in Hebrew is halal. It means to profane, to desecrate, to pollute oneself with wickedness. And the context is given that. So this, this Hebrew word can go both ways. It could say began, but it actually, with the context, means he's actually starting to oppose God. He's polluting himself or oneself with wickedness. And then we talked about to be a mighty one. And it says in that in English, but in the Hebrew, it's gibberim. Gibberim is used for the Nephilim, and Gibberim is used for Goliath. And so it's connecting dots to Genesis 6 and Goliath showing you, wait a second, he's more than a human being. It's possible, and I want to be dogmatic about it, but the fact that they're using the, the, the technical term Gibberim is indicating it's possible that Nimrod is a Nephilim. He is half angelic, or half demonic, I should say, or fallen angel, and half human. He's not fully a human being on earth. And he was a mighty hunter. And then we have a picture. And I showed you this last week, right? Yeah, I showed you this. And the fact that every time you see archaeological remains of Nimrod, or Gilgamesh, which is another name for him, or Marduk from the Babylonian religion, he's always portrayed as very large and notice he's holding a lion. I showed you this last week. He's holding a lion. You know what the size of a lion is, right? Okay, so look at the size of the lion compared to him. He's always portrayed, even in pictures of him by other humans, as bigger. Which indicates he's like Goliath. He's a giant of a man. He's like the king of Og, who Israel had to contend with, which was another giant. So a lot of the offspring of the angelic or fallen angelic with the human women came giants from this offspring. And it's possible that Nimrod is this giant, Nephilim, who's leading the world in a rebellion to God. And anyway, it says that he was a mighty hunter before God. Because of the context, the way you interpret the Hebrew then is, it says, well, he's a mighty hunter before God. That seems innocuous. Like, oh, it's no big deal. He's just a hunter. No, 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 no. That's not how to interpret that. You have to interpret it in the context. It's showing you that Nimrod's a bad dude, really bad. So the Hebrew implies before against God. He's antagonistic. He's in a position against God as a mighty hunter. He's trying to make war against the Lord. And therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, well, basically what they were saying is, like Nimrod... The one who rebelled against God. The one who opposed God. And he did this in a full-fledged rebellion with all of humanity behind him in this. And that's where the text is going. And he is the original founder of Babylon that led a complete revolt with all of humanity. This is after the flood. 
against God. Well, let's look at the rebellion that he led. So we unpack this with Genesis 11. Let's see what he did. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. The original language was ancient Hebrew. And how do we know that? Because all the names are in Hebrew. So the original language was Hebrew. Eventually, Hebrew is what we will all speak in the millennial kingdom and for eternity. It's Hebrew. That's the original language. All the languages derived from that when God scattered them. Anyway, verse 2, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, so they're moving into the Fertile Crescent in the Mesopotamian area, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Shinar is a Babylonian region. We we, we consider modern-day Iraq. And they dwelt there. Okay, so they did more than just dwell there. This is being led by Nimrod. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. This seems like, okay, what's the big deal? They're starting to use building materials. There's implications here, and you have to understand what the themes the author, which is Moses, is trying to convey. If you were going to build an altar to God prior to the institution of Israel's tabernacle and temple, this is the almost pre-patriarch, okay, what you would have to do is you built an altar to God out of stone. Okay, you stack stone up and you would make an altar. And you see this with the Old Testament patriarchs a lot of times doing that. Job will do that and Abraham will do that. But what is the symbolic nature of that? Well, the idea is that you take stone and you make an altar. You don't go and form anything. You just take the stones that God made and you place them together and you stack them. And if you did put them together, you use clay or mud. Things that God had made to put things together. And you kept the shape of the stone the way it was and you built an altar. Okay? But notice what they're doing. They're making bricks. Bricks are very uniform, right? And the way they made bricks was they had to use, obviously, clay or whatever, and they would have to put straw in it or something like that to bind it together. But they were all the same size, and the materials they were using, obviously, were asphalt or bitumen. And what that is... Tar is not the same, but in the, in the Middle East, it's bitumen. And what it is, it's kind of like where you find coal and oil deposits and tar deposits. It's this black stuff. That's at, and what they would do is mix this black stuff, like tar, with sand, and it would make asphalt. And that's what they did to put their bricks and glue them together, basically. And notice that they're baking the bricks, which makes them harder and be able to stand more weight. What's all the symbolic nature of this? Well, first of all, it's technology. That post-flood, man is already starting to develop technology pretty rapidly. And it's not that technology is a bad thing. Don't get me wrong on this. Technology is a good thing. But as you know, if sinful people get their hands on technology, what happens? It goes haywire. Okay, so the idea is that these sinful people, this revolt against God, is combining their revolt with technology, okay, which is happening today. I want you to see the same parallels. For instance, the internet. Al Gore says he invented the internet. I don't believe that. I hope you don't either. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. 
But the internet is a form of technology, right? And everyone would agree there's good purposes that you could use the internet for, and then there's bad purposes, right? And what's happening now is with the technology of not just the internet, but with artificial intelligence, our morality can't keep up with the technology, especially in the hands of immoral people, okay? They're on the verge of doing weird stuff with AI, very weird stuff. And now you know the algorithms that are running through the internet and all kinds of weird stuff to silence people. So the same thing that we see today of the technology's there, it's neutral, but you can use it in negative ways is exactly what was happening in Babylon. They're starting to use technology, baking bricks, as primitive as that seems, as coupled with their rebellion. Well, that can only mean one thing. The rebellion gets exponential. It gets worse in what they're attempting to do. Now, hold on with me. Let me show you a picture of brick and asphalt and then stone just being placed together. This is what God said to do on altars. You make it out of stone. Even the temple was made out of stone, but they didn't even use mortar for the temple. They cut the stone so perfectly at the quarry that it fit right in on the temple precincts, right? But in Babylon, they used brick and asphalt. Technology, heating the thing up, the bricks would become harder, and they could sustain heavy, heavy weights, which means that it's possible they could sustain so much weight that the bricks that they made, that you could have a tower or an edifice about 500 feet, which would be like the size of the Washington Monument, perhaps. But then it's more than technology. It's symbolic And if you don't get the symbol, you won't understand currently what's going on and what happened back then. The idea of brick is that it's man-made versus stone, which is God-made. You see the difference? Man is making the brick. And how does man make the brick? He takes takes things and and he uses technology and he cuts it out and he makes a uniformity out of it. Then he has to heat it up. And then he can use it. So it's a man-made production, okay, if you're following, okay? Versus stone, where you just get it and you fit the stone as it fits that God made. Okay, then I'm using, though, the brick to create an altar to God, but to do something more. I'm creating a tower that reaches into the heavens, I'm creating a structure, an altar, so to speak, that allows me to move into the spiritual realm, to get into a gate of God, and be able to access heaven or the spiritual realm through this edifice. Hence, the bricks represent man's attempt to work his way to heaven. And he is solidifying his works by black asphalt. Black represents sin. And because you and I are contaminated or polluted by the sin nature, all our works are tainted with sin. This is why God will say in another metaphor, your works are like filthy rags to me, right? told Israel that, okay? So if you're watching the symbolic nature of this, they're using blackness to solidify the man-made bricks to build their way to a portal to heaven so they can gain access to it. 
So it's all symbolic of man's working for salvation versus God saying, here's the stone I provide. And ultimately, who is called the stone that's made without human hands? Did you notice that symbolic saying from Daniel? He says, I saw a stone come out of heaven that was made without human hands, not cut out by human hands and formed as a brick, but something that came out of heaven, which is divine, and it crushed all the empires. That stone, as you know, that rock hewn out without human hands is Messiah, Jesus. And it's Messiah who gives us our gate to heaven. He is what he calls, I said, I am the gate, right? I am the gate. You cannot make your own gate by your own good works. I must provide the gate. So that's at the rudimentary understanding of the Tower of Babel is you must understand the difference between salvation provided by Messiah and his gate versus the gate that man is trying to build himself by doing it through his own sinful works. Because his bricks, he made himself and he, he glued them together by his own sin nature and it can't get him there. You have to go to the stone that's cut out with human hands. And you must accept it as that stone is cut out, as it is formed, so to speak. So a lot of people don't like the stone. And remember, he said, the stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. So it's all this whole metaphor of stone versus brick. By the way, we are called Living stones. Notice the term, stone, not brick. We're called stones, not brick, because brick is uniform. Now, follow me, or I'm going to lose you like a wet bar of soap. The whore of Babylon, which is the system that Satan is using right now, is trying to create bricks instead of living stones, because it can't turn anyone into a living stone. It could only turn people into bricks. All look the same. All are cut the same way, same dimensions. They have no individuality. They're all uniformly the same. Versus, Paul says, one is an eyes, one's a hand, one's a foot, one's a neck, one's a head, right? You know, the whole metaphor of the body is made up of different parts. That's the idea. But the uniformity of what the whore is trying to do and what Satan is trying to do is create drones to create mindless bricks that will do exactly what she wants them to do, which is exactly what communism, Marxism, progressivism, totalitarianism, dictatorialships try to make people out. They're just bricks. And you are just another brick in the wall as she builds her way to heaven, to get to the portal of heaven. I hope that's not too much, but there's a lot of... You have to understand that to understand what she's doing today. You have to understand the history. You have to understand the symbolic nature of bricks versus stones and what she's trying to accomplish. Now, verse 4. Let's go back to verse 4. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, number one, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. 
So stop right there. The idea is that you say, what's the problem with a city? Because the city versus tent theme goes throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, to live in the city was to live in moral decay. That's where a lot of bad stuff happened. And if you think about any city today, there's a lot of bad stuff. New York, Dallas, everything, you know, L.A. The cities are where a lot of sin is concentrated. Okay, but what's, what's the point that it's trying to say is this. And I, I find this amazing in politics. It's like this. The city becomes where we can control a lot of people. It becomes a gathering point where a lot of people are concentrated and that you can control. Say since it, like a city like Manhattan. You can control Manhattan pretty well because you have millions and millions of people all concentrated in a small center of location. So say, for instance, if you cut the routes off into Manhattan, those people are doomed. They're doomed, right? If you cut it off like a food supply, okay? Same thing that goes on in Southern California. The increasing amount that's happening of a concentration of people, all it takes is one natural disaster and they're all finished, God, on the other hand, told people to spread out, spread out, quit concentrating together, spread out, have dominion, take control of planet Earth, but do not clump up together. So they're going against what, he, what the dominion mandate required of them taking over the land and spreading out. They would not colonize, colonize planet Earth after the flood. They simply refused to do that. And hence... Not only are they clumped up into one city, they start building a tower. And the tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, again, just a cursory reading, you say, what's the big deal? They're building the city, building the tower. No, the city is clumping them up. We're all going to stay together, and we're not going to leave because the city will provide us, note this, security. If I get out in the wilderness, I'm susceptible to attacks from wild animals, I'm susceptible to attacks from marauders and robbers, and people would want to kill me. It created a false sense of security to stay clumped up together, which is exactly what our modern-day progressives, neo-Marxists, all want us to do. They want to get rid of you living on a farm and put you in an urban situation where you're in a city Because cities is where you can control people. Now follow me, the tower. The tower that they're going to make is going to be a tower whose top is in the heavens. What the intention is, is we are now making a new religion. A new religion that doesn't call for us to come by sacrifice, but to come the way our ancient father wanted to do by the name of Cain. That we should be accepted into heaven by our own works and that we're going to make our own new religion to do this. And then what they have found on the tops of these archaeological pyramids in Mesopotamian area, and there's a lot of them in this area, by the way. At the top of them, what they were doing is worshiping false deities where we got the, the zodiac, the, the signs of the zodiac and the stars and stuff like that, we find archaeological remains that that's what they were doing on the tops of these. 
And the idea was they're not going to build a tower where they can walk into heaven. It's a tower that gives them what's called a portal into heaven. A portal into the spiritual realm. Having access to the spiritual realm through the top of the portal. You find this in witchcraft. You find this in all kinds of false religions. That there's a portal entrance into the spiritual realm. Okay. So what were they doing on the tops of these towers? What archaeologists find is that they were worshiping the stars. But it's more than just worshiping the stars. They were worshiping the false deities behind what the star represented. They weren't stupid. They knew the dog star Sirius. They weren't just worshiping a star. They worshiped a god that represented the dog star Sirius or the sun, or the moon, or whatever, and the different signs in the sky. But we know that in space, which is the second heaven, as it's called, there's three heavens, the atmosphere, space, and then third heaven is where God dwells, that the space is where demons dwell. That is where Satan and his activities are in the atmosphere around planet Earth. Hence, by them worshiping perhaps the dog star Sirius or the moon or the sun or whatever, they were in effect worshiping the demonic realm, and particularly the hierarchy of the demonic realm. And hence, they were getting in touch with the spiritual realm, but not God's realm, but the spiritual realm through de- demons. So it was a major demonic activity going on here with Nimrod leading the whole thing. By the way, I think I've showed you this. The structure is all over planet Earth, by the way. It's all over planet Earth. And no one seems to connect dots for some reason. The same structures are everywhere. And I think I've showed you these before. Again, this is in Mexico. This is what the Aztecs and Mayans built, right? Notice a similar structure. It's all made out of brick, uniform brick. This is in China. It's buried under sand and and dirt, but underneath it is a similar structure, a pyramid type of structure with a peak on the top. Again, this is in, I think, Indonesia, and you can see the similar structure going to the top with a peak. Deep in the Amazon, you see the similar structure. It doesn't matter what the size it is, but lowest the bricks, same uniform bricks. This is in China, I believe it is. Look at the structure. Look on all of the continents. Egypt, Indonesia, Mexico, all have the same configuration. What happened? Well, once God confused the languages, they took the same mindset all over the world and worshiped these demon creatures all over the world in the same structure. It's everywhere all over the planet. And I understand why archaeologists don't connect the dots with this. This is a rendition of perhaps what it looked like in Babylon based on the archaeological remains, something of that nature. Here's another. This is in Iraq, actually. It's a very large structure in Iraq, as you can see. And it's all made out of brick. Look at that thing. It's just massive. It's just massive. And can just continue to go. Imagine the Washington Monument and it going that high with that kind of superstructure. And again, at the top of it is where all the demonic activity uh, was happening. And you can see it's just enormous, just enormous. Okay, what's the point? Well, let's fast forward to the scripture, the next scripture, and watch. What, look, what, what are they doing up there? 
not only just worshiping demons, but let us make a name for ourselves. A name for ourselves. And this is the height of arrogance, the height of pride in humanity. A name means for our glory. We don't want to glorify the one true God. We want to glorify ourselves. We want to call attention to ourselves, not to God. See, as believers, we're to cause everyone to to seek attention to Jesus. We're pointing everyone to Jesus, right? The attention goes to him. The Holy Spirit focuses everybody to go to Jesus, 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 because he's the one who gets a name. He's the one that at his name, every knee will bow, yeah? It's the idea of, of who gets the proper respect, who gets the proper honor. It's God. But when they say, let's build a name for ourselves, you are seeing humans in their own arrogance saying, we don't want to give God credit. We want to be the center of attention of the universe, which is exactly what's happening now. These people that you see in our society who are secular humanists or spiritual humanists are focusing the attention on them. When they say things like we have a divine spark in each one of us and that we're inherently good and all we need to be perfect is if we got all the laws in society, we would be perfect. That's the same Babylonian mentality. It's creating this religion of Cain to draw attention to ourselves. And man, that's like I told you at the beginning. This is what is appealing to people. This is why people are leaving Christianity, because they want to self-deify themselves. This is why millennials and Generation Z are not coming to Christ, because they've been told ever since they were little, not only by their parents, but by the school systems, that there's some wonder kind, that they're like a walking deity, and they deify themselves. So hence, they gravitate to a religion that says, you are the center of the universe. You're Captain Planet, man. You're Captain Wonderful. We need to give you a badge, and you've done nothing, but we still want to reward you. And it's a whole self-esteem movement that's went crazy. And their schools have taught this to these kids. No wonder they don't come to Christ. They think they're God. They think they walk on water. Now you think, well, you're exaggerating. Really? Then look at the numbers. How come our younger generations don't understand their need for Jesus? It's not like they haven't been told. It's they've been told that they don't need Jesus because they are God. There's nothing wrong with them. You're perfect. Don't change the way you are. The kind of God that the whore is selling to people is that this fairy tale God will accept every bizarre behavior you want to come with as long as you're a good person and you don't try to harm other people and that you tolerate other folks and you accept our new morality, the new way, not the old way they call it, but the new morality of earning your way to heaven. See, it hits five areas. Let me tell you the five areas real quick where this is hitting. It's hitting in religion, number one. It's hitting all the religions of the world. And Christianity is not exempt from this. We're seeing more and more people get goofed up and apostatized than we've ever seen before in our lives. We're seeing it in behavior. Look at the behavior of what our society is doing and what's acceptable to them. Ten years ago, would you think you would have a conversation about transgenderism and about 72 different types of genders? Do you ever really think that? You're like, we've lost our minds. 
but you're seeing more bizarre behavior than you've ever seen before. The value of human life. That's gone in the horror of Babylon because the value of human life can be symbolically represented by a brick. You're just a brick. As long as you provide the whore or society with taxation, basically, we get to tax you and you're, you're producing. But if you don't produce and if you're not a good brick, we get rid of the brick. Because your value is only what you produce. See, we believe the Bible teaches, teaches intrinsic value. I don't care if you're a quadriplegic in a coma, you're still of value. We don't have the right to turn you off because, well, you're, not, you're a drain on our society. That's their mentality. You're nothing but a brick. Just a brick. And then the sexual behavior is another aspect. This is, this is a fourth thing you'll see. Anytime you see the whore of Babylon, she's tied to immorality, wild sexual behavior, off-the-chart sexual behavior, kind of what you just saw the last few weeks with the Catholic Church. Do not think for a moment the whore hasn't infiltrated the Catholic Church. She has been in there since about 300 A.D., thanks to Constantine. The whore has completely infected the Catholic Church, and hence... Do you find it shocking that the Catholic Church started letting homosexuals become priests? And they told them, well, as long as you don't act out on it. Excuse me? Did I miss something? So you could be homosexual and then go into a Catholic priesthood, go to seminary, then come out, and as long as you don't, you say celibate and you don't practice your homosexuality, guess how that worked? Raging raging undercurrent of homosexuality in the priesthood. They estimate, they themselves estimate, not me, they themselves and their own tracking, about 60, high as 60% of the priests are gay. Oh, so do I find it shocking that we uncover thousands of, of children who were molested, boys, primarily, over there in Pennsylvania. And out of the 302 priests or whatever that did this and raped little boys and would give them crosses to wear to identify them to their other gay priests who would molest them as well. And that was a signal to them in their gay priesthood that that boy, you know, he, he's... He, They're taking pictures. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Pornography, child pornography. And the Vatican covered it up. The Pope knew it. Popes didn't know it. The cardinals, the bishops knew it. And they covered it up. And you know what they did? They hid these guys to get them past the statutes of limitations where you couldn't do anything. There's only two left alive today. The Catholic Church completely hid this underground. If it's happening there, do you think it's not happening in California? Do you not think it's happening all over the United States, all over, all over the world? Why? The whore got her grips into the Catholic Church, thoroughly corrupted it, and then eventually it comes out in sexual perversion. And it's the worst sexual perversion you could possibly imagine with pedophilia. And it's, by the way, the connection is right. Because they're gay, they're going after post-puberty boys which is known in the homosexual community. Post-teenage boys, that's who they're going after. 
Not little, little kids. They're going after teenagers. So you can see the tie between homosexuality and the raping of teenage boys. The connection's there. I'm not even the one that's pointing that out. There's articles after articles after articles and studies after studies that study that show that's prominent in the gay community. And it's happening in the Catholic Church. It shouldn't shock any one of you and I. shouldn't shock anybody. But you know, let me make this note. The Whore of Babylon has her leaven in the Protestant Church as well. We're just younger than the Catholic Church. What do you mean? Well, I've tried to point this out to you. The new movement in Christianity, at least here in America, is to let people remain a gay Christian and not repent of that. And, and say, well, as long as you don't practice it, is what they're saying. As long as you don't practice your gayness, you're okay. And we're not going to pray away the gay. We're not going to do that anymore for you. You just stay there as long as you're, you're, you're not sexual. What? That's what they told the priests. They told the same thing to the priests, as long as you're not sexual. And so then we have a bunch of people get into the pastorate who are gay. And guess what's going to happen from that? Oh, I don't know. Would it, is it a hypothetical? No, look what happened to the Catholic priests. And then as they're telling these other people, well, if you're gay, what you need to do is be in a mixed marriage and get married to a heterosexual woman, and you stay you know, in that relationship, have kids, but you can still be gay. What? No, they just said that in July at the Revoice Conference for the Protestants. I'm not joking. That's what we've been covering. This is the new trend. And by the way, one of the guys taught at the Southern Baptist Seminary, and they just let it happen. No problem. He, was, he, he said he was gay, and he was married to a woman and had kids, but he was gay. What? That's the whore. Don't think you and I are exempt from this. The whore is putting her leaven in three mills, as Jesus said. Matthew 13. He said there's a woman, and he's given the parable of the mystery kingdom. One of the, one of the issues, he said, there will be three loaves of bread... And the woman will introduce leaven to all three loaves. Hence, if you look back in church history, what has happened? The first split between the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church split into two divisions. Then the Protestant Reformation happened in 1517, split the Catholic Church and Protestantism. And I hate to tell you, we're under that banner. We're not Catholics. We're not Eastern Orthodox. We're under the banner of Protestantism. There's the three loaves. And what did Jesus say? The woman introduces leaven into all three loaves. And what we're seeing in now in Protestantism is the introduction of sexual immorality among seminarians, pastors, and average lay people. Oh, she's here. Yeah, she's here. She's infecting the church in America. And the, ne- the next thing, the n- another hallmark of her is she loves government. She loves when she gets to partner with the government. What do you mean? Well, some of these churches here in town and some of these churches across the nation are taking money to take in illegal immigrants. What? Yeah. Matt Chandler. People love 
him, but he's taking money from George Soros' immigration company, taking money to help illegal, illegal, I'm not saying legal, I said illegal immigrants in this country because they give, they give them money every time you do it. You can make thousands of dollars per illegal immigrant. And they're partnering with the churches. Isn't that wonderful? They're partnering with the churches. And they, the government wants to make these churches, like the, the, the ones that will go in line with them, the meeting point where all this government stuff starts happening through the churches. Oh, that's why she loves the government. That's why a lot of these mainline churches are for all this cultural Marxism. They're getting paid off. That's how she buys people off. Just saying. Let's go back to the text. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the, and so the idea, we didn't want to spread out. We want to clump up together, move as a whole mass. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, people are one and they have have all have one language and this is what they begin to do they're using technology with their revolt now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them so combine sin with technology things will be out of control come let us the trinity go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech what was the judgment not happening right now God confused the languages, so they spread out, and they were forced to spread out. And what it did is it gave humanity about four to 5,000 years. And I want you to catch this. The confusing of the language gave humanity that, many, that much time before humanity would catch up with its technology and then become one again. And hence, we are here there today. The technology, the, the advanced technology, even prior to the flood, we find in archaeological remains, advanced technology. Technology that they were able to laser cut things. I don't know how they did, neither do archaeologists. And so, so, what, so what do they say? Well, aliens did this. Aliens helped them. No, 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 no. The, the, the advance of technology was so beyond what you and I were cap- or even capable of thinking it's caused us to wait till this long to get to that stage where we could unify again. And we're here. Basically, we speak the same language. We have interpreters. Everybody's working at one. And so now we have returned back to one language, so to speak. We have re- now we're returning back to one people. And we have a problem, don't we? Because now at this second juncture, God is going to allow it this time. He didn't, he wasn't ready for it. It wasn't his time. And so if you look at a map, you can see by the DNA structure, you're just following the DNA. When God confused the languages, the DNA structure shows the pattern that they split from and they, they went all over the planet and they spread. And so obviously the DNA is saying, this is what happened. Now, let me explain a couple more things and we'll wrap things up. What happened then is this new religion formed in Babylon. And Nimrod was worshipped as a god. His other name is Gilgamesh or Marduk. His wife, Semiramis, was, uh, was worshipped as well. And his son, Tammuz, was, was uh, worshipped as well. And it became a counterfeit to God. 
Now, what started out is, 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 with the worship of the, these, this couple and their child was that uh, you can see it in the archaeology. You can see it, what they started doing. Let me show you a couple pictures. It's the earliest archaeological picture of Semiramis and Tammuz. The myth behind it was that Tammuz was killed by a wild animal, but he resurrected after, after time and came back to life. And they worshipped the, the mom, Semiramis, as the queen of heaven, and then he, Tammuz was the son of Marduk or Nimrod. Huh. You saw this in Egypt. You see this in the Greek and Romans. This is Venus and Cupid. Oh, wait. Did, did I get something? Yeah, this is Mary and baby Jesus of the Catholic Church. See, she sunk her teeth into the Catholic Church a long time ago. That picture of the Madonna and child, the queen of heaven and a child, is nothing more than Semiramis and Tammuz, the worship of the, the, the mother God child. That's all that is. It's all over the world. The mother goddess and the, the, the child Tammuz. It's all over the world. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. You go to Egypt, you go to Rome, ancient Rome or whatever, or ancient Greece, and then you go to the Catholic Church, and there she is, same woman. Unbelievable. I, I'm just saying, we know full well she implanted into the Catholic Church. We got that. What I'm saying is it's bigger than that. It's bigger than the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has been corrupted by the whore. She's here in Protestantism. She's here corrupting everybody. And she's wanting to take everyone down into her system. What's the application for this? Because this is this difficult. Let me show you one last phrase. Go to verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Um, this woman, this system is being used by Satan, is playing for keeps. In, in the tribulation period, this persecution will turn into virtually, I'm going to kill you. If you don't comply with our religious system, the world government will kill you. Because the government and the religion are together, so they will kill people. And we'll, there will be massive slaughtering of, of believers now. Well, what's happening now? Well, unfortunately, you're not seeing it because we live in America, but around the world, she's killing Christians like there's no tomorrow, especially in the Middle East. She's crucifying them. You want to be like your master? We'll crucify you. And no one says a word. You try to bring us to the attention of the, of the Christian church in America, and you know what the Christian church in America, oh, we don't want to tell people that. That upsets them. That our brothers and sisters are dying and being slaughtered by the whore using Islam in the Middle East? That China is suppressing the church in China? The government is? And, and the whore is being used to suppress her? We don't want to talk about that. That ruffles their feathers. We don't want to make people upset. That's crazy talk. Because you know what's going to happen? It's coming here. It's coming here. And right now, we're already seeing soft persecution. They're trying to silence us. She's trying to silence us. And they're trying to take away free speech. They hate that. And she's partnering with the government. Shouldn't shock you that these government people are hook, line, and sinker into this new kind of religion, this new tolerance, this new way of behaving. 
And you and I are being excluded and marginalized and, and called all kinds of names under the book. And, and by the way, just all I'm saying is get ready. She's coming. I don't know how long we have until the rapture. I hope it's soon. I would love to go right now and get out of this miserable world. It's sickening to watch. But every day I watch this, it gets worse and worse and worse. And the bent is towards Christianity. They're not saying it right now, but they are. We're the ones getting in the way. And then they hate the Jews too. What's some application? What do you take away from this? Because, man, man, Brandon, this is... This is big stuff, man. It's way beyond my personal life, man. I know, but you've got to be, you have to get your arms around this. This is Christianity. It's not some personal religion. It's a global idea. It's, it's a, a worldview. On a personal level, on a personal level, the whore wants you to become dependent on the state. Now, none of you might say, well, I'm not dependent on Good, 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 good. I'm glad because a bunch of Christians are. They're willing to get on the government dole. And when you get on that government dole, she can control you. That's how she's going to control the world is through the governments. And she wants you to accept this new morality. And so if you're going to play ball with her at work or if you work for a government agency, she's going to force you to compromise your Christianity. That's how she's going to work. She's going to seduce you with money, seduce you with security, what she did in Babylon, right? Security, everything's good. And then say, okay, now I got you. Now I need you to compromise in order to continue to get this. And the minute you do that, she's got you. That's how she works. Try to stay as independent financially as you possibly can. I know that seems weird. What do you mean? I just Here's a practical thing. If you think Social Security is going to be here in the future, you're crazy. It's not. They're, they don't have the money. So what does that mean? You better start saving for your retirement on your own. You better start putting money away on your own and not wait for some government entity pension plan because that won't ex- exist. They don't have any money. If you're waiting for Social Security to be there, you're going to be up a creek. By the time I I retire, it's not going to be there. I cannot depend on the government to take care of me. i got to depend on God to take care of me. But I'm not a fool either. The Bible in in Proverbs, it says, a man who sees a pit, he avoids it. If you see a pit ahead, you got to take precautions. you got to do what you can. It doesn't mean you don't have insurance. You have insurance. But it means any time you become beholden to a government entity, you are dead done. For instance, look at the people in our culture who are on the government dole. They're never coming off. They're complete dependents for the rest of their life. And you know what? In order to get that money, they will sell out their soul to get the money. They will vote for whoever they need to vote for to get their free Obama phone. You're catching the drift? That's what's happening. I know, I know I'm speaking to the choir, but you go outside our realms, that's how people think. Well, any way I can get anything free, man, I'm going to do it. If I have to vote for Bernie Sanders, I'm going to do it because I want free education. You're crazy. There is no free lunch. I don't care what any democratic socialist tells you. She's trying to suck you in. 
And more and more Christians are getting sucked into this because they become dependent. Who are we supposed to be dependent on? Jesus. Jesus is the only one. And he is telling you and I, I will sell you through this. Don't be dependent on any. He kept telling Israel, don't be dependent on anyone else, any other alliances or nations. Be dependent on me, Israel. And he's saying the same thing to you. In these days ahead, do not be conned into being dependent on anything, especially a government entity. Be dependent on Jesus, and he will get you through safely through the rough, rough waters. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.